It's Wednesday, February 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool Options and Stock Advisor Canada, all the way from the Great White North, Jim Gillies. It's very white this morning. I bet it is. I, let's let's talk about the weather in Canada for just 30 seconds. I thought we were in a hurry today. We're in a little bit of a hurry. We get, the studio is very booked today, but let's let's an exciting get, day here. It's at, at very exciting. We've got State. a we've got a two day member event coming up starting Thursday. But uh, take it was 30. It was 15. I'm going to give you 10 seconds now. Talk talk about the weather up in uh, Canada. How bad has it been? How much snow have you gotten up there in the mythical world of Guelph? In the mythical world of Guelph, I have three feet of snow on either side of my driveway this morning, and I should not have that anywhere near that. And apparently, I'm going to have uh, uh, another foot of it by the time I get back on Friday night. And you? Uh, no. I, well, I live in, in the magical land of uh, the, the <laughs> capital area where school is is. Uh, called off if it rains or if it's you know there's a threat a light dusting yeah well it actually was just two hour delay today the roads were a little icy all right we're going to talk about the latest results from merck we've got some big news from cvs let's start with 3d systems because 3d systems reports fourth quarter earnings on february 28th but shares are down more than 20 percent this morning because they issued a profit warning. Apparently, Bill, there's lower demand for 3D printers than certainly the people at 3D Systems previously thought. Yeah, and, and you know one of the problems here is with a, a company and a, with a new industry which, which has growth which is off of the normal uh, charts, and, and that's what we're talking about with 3D printing, uh, where you can't really input into your models and, and the company can't necessarily input into its forecasts you know, the the kinds of numbers that work in models, 7% a year, 10%, even 12 when you're, where you're getting up to uh, m- many multiples of that, you have, as in this case, um, almost an impossible thing to value. It's a company or a stock that went up 270% in uh, 2012, 160% last year. Yes, it's down uh, 15%, 20% today, and on top of a little bit of weakness even before today for the year-to-date. Uh, and that's not unusual for, for you know, sort of a, a growth stock of this kind. Jim, we had Matt Argusinger out at the Consumer Electronics Show last month. When I talked with him, one of the things that he was struck by was just how many 3D printing companies there are out there uh, in the world and presenting at CES. We've talked about 3D systems. We've talked about Stratasys. But there are all these different companies that are trying to make it in this space. And part of me wonders if any of them are going to make it as a standalone company. Because 3D printing strikes me as one of those things that if it gets to ubiquity – then large companies are going to swoop in and say, we're just going to buy these. You know, General Electric is going to step in and say and make a godfather offer to Stratasys or 3D Systems, that sort of thing. Is that the wrong way to think about this? Or is this, in fact, something that could make it on its own? I don't think there's any reason why it couldn't make it on its own, but I don't th- also don't think it's the wrong way to think about it. Uh, or I was thinking about, you know, like other technologies that have come into manufacturing. Because this, this is, I mean, at its root, this is a change in how you manufacture, well, pretty much anything, right? Yeah. I mean, when you see stories for, you know, 3D printed cars or 3D printed guns or stuff like that, I mean, you know, they're changing everything. 
is there a large i'm just going to pull an example out of the air here uh, is there a large company you know trading at you know 100 times earnings or 50 times ebitda in the injection molding space can you name the company i mean no one cares about injection molding or you know punch press stamping or what have you i mean those companies over time as they as the technology are, are i'm you, sorry i dozed off there. Sorry. what was the second thing you are, mentioned are you, are you former just, former manufacturing engineer former fa- manufacturing engineer you know this technologies that we in the manufacturing space that we, you would use or laser cutting or, or or whatever you know technologies become as you say ubiquitous and they become commoditized and you know, so I mean, you know, maybe five, ten, twenty years down the road, three D printing is done, and and you know, the enthusiasm for the stock has or the stocks in the space has been great, and people have made a lot of money if you've been a, an owner for even a couple of years now. But you know, the first kind of shot back, yeah, it hurts. Three D printing does come with a little bit of an exclamation point, and not not mm-hmm. just the company, but just the, the, the concept, yeah. right? Uh, which injection molding does not, and maybe it's uh, a one-time bill. One time, <laughs> I'm just saying that there there is an excitement about it, and I guess an imagination to what could be down the line mm-hmm. as as compared to what is actually achievable or what seems to actually be achievable today uh, in 3D printing. But you know, I don't know that there is any uh, huge significant first uh, mover advantage here that that there is in, in some other nascent industries. I don't know that there's a brand that that gives you an excessive amount of power in in this. Um, And so ultimately, it is going to depend on the numbers that is coming out today. Uh, And and I don't think, you know, you've got the the kind of network effects uh, around anything like this that that would justify uh, comparing it to some other industries where you haven't had any, you know, profits to measure. So you're just looking at how big is the market someday, and can this company have, you know, X percent of it? Mm-hmm. This is going to be more along the lines, I think, of you know, a, a shared space and a commodity. Ultimately, even if it isn't today, CVS has announced that on October first, it will stop selling cigarettes and related tobacco products. And I'm curious about this, Jim, because. On the one hand, CVS is getting a decent amount of praise in the media Mm -hmm. for this. They have come out. They had a statement from the CEO saying, look, this is antithetical to the purpose of our company, which is to help people with their health. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's a little bit of a dilemma for investors. Shares of CVS down slightly today. Shares of rival drugstore Walgreens up slightly. And I don't know. I'm wondering to what extent – the market-beating returns of CVS's stock over the last couple of years can be attributed to tobacco. I guess we're going to find out in relatively short order. We are. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, my natural cynicism is, uh, you know, when they said, uh, the CEO said that, uh, quote, tobacco products have no place in a setting where healthcare is delivered. Well, they did yesterday. Right. Um, right. So that's interesting. Um well, the place but, was behind the counter. I mean, <laughs> sure, you know, it's, it's uh, two billion dollars of their one hundred twenty-five billion dollar top line. Now, the nature of one half their business or part of their business, the pharmacy benefit manager, typically will skew the revenue for the, these types of things. But uh, you know, I actually thought it was pretty bold. I, I think it's. Uh, uh, I like to see 
companies or leaders, you know, taking a look at a, a we'll call a broad societal trend here, that trend being, you know, smoking cessation, um, greater focus on health, greater focus on, you know, outcomes. And, I, you know, as the Canadian interloper who doesn't fully understand your healthcare system down here, um, you know, and the nuances and what have you of it, uh, I understand that part of it is, is there is something called uh, accountable care organizations as part of the uh, Obamacare, I guess you call it. Uh, which are focused on outcomes uh, more so than just, you know, pricing out every little procedure. And I think that, um, you know, where Caremark CVS has an advantage over perhaps Walgreens is they're on both sides here. I mean, they're, yeah, they're selling you the drugs. They are the pharmacy and the drugstore, but they're also on the PBM side, the pharmacy benefit managers. So they're negotiating with insurers and employers and healthcare plans. And they're, I think they're looking for a piece of that business, you know, and and that's something that Walgreens, unless they've got a PBM, I don't know about, can can tackle. So even if Walgreens were to say tomorrow that oh we're going to cut out tobacco products too, they can't replicate where these guys want to go. So, you know, I I actually praise it. I think it's it is on, when you are focusing on outcomes, less lung cancer, less heart disease, less stroke. I think it's it's great, and it's you know what they they claim they're going to make up the so called profit loss based on other other cost savings. So you know, I, I say good for them. Bill, you have to assume that this is something that was debated within CVS for a while now. Mm -hmm. And there had to have been someone on the other side of the table saying, this is a bad move financially. We can't afford to do this. I am wondering, though, if when you look at about 7,500, 7,600 locations that CVS has, and of those 7,600 or so, I think it's about 650 have minute clinics installed in them. I'm wondering if that was part of the math here, where they looked at this and said, you know what, if we continue to roll these out, I don't know to what extent, if any, I have to assume that the minute clinics contribute some measure of the profit for CVS. And maybe that's part of the calculus here. Well, look, if we just add a few more or we accelerate the growth of these, this will more than make up for the top line revenue we're going to lose in cigarette sales. If I can go just slightly off topic here, or the topic you raised, the minute clinic. Have you ever been to one? Yeah, it's I love not it. not a minute. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's <laughs> right. Know. It's good brand. I understand why they went with the title, but come on. Uh, <laughs> you're saying you've had a bad experience at the minute clinic. Yes. I, I He's love had two minute clinics. Yes. I love Minute Clinic. I am a huge fan. When it when it's a minute, sure. When it's you know like an hour hour and a half, I would less so. I love that I have that option as opposed to trying to get into an emergency room or trying to get into a doctor's appointment that sort of thing. Now, uh, as you said, the, this was probably debated within the company. I'm sure that there would have been people on the you know board of directors or or elsewhere in the company taking the other side. I'm sure they you know focus group this and, and to try to determine what the hit would be. Look, they're going to pick up some people who will now choose to go to CVS over the Walgreens. It's, you know, on the other side of the, the street in a lot of cases. Um, and Walgreens will get a lot of people who say, I, I, you know, I want to get some stuff. One of the things is pack smokes and, and CVS is going to lose a certain amount of people to that. But CVS is going to be on the right side of history on this one. And it's probably a matter of time uh, until the protesters wear down Walgreens and, and, you know, they go in the same direction would be my guess. I, I, I don't see, look, CVS is never going to reverse policy on this one, right? Right. Walgreens eventually is going to have to meet them there. Probably. 
Probably, but it, better than fifty-fifty. I'm not saying anytime soon. But to your point about people choosing to go to CVS, we've talked before in this room about. I've made the point that in almost every case, the brand of the drugstore does not matter to me. If I am somewhere else in the country and I'm looking for a drugstore, I'm not. I am brand agnostic. So whether it is a Rite Aid, a Walgreens, a CVS, that doesn't matter to me. Now, I think with this move, I think there will be those people who actually have some brand loyalty as a result of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, your sense of indignation <laughs> is not as high as some other consumers. And and I think it's going to be some of those consumers that, you know, CVS is going to market to. They're marketing to them today, right? You know, they're out there. They're getting lots of press. They're going to get phenomenal. They're going to be on all the you know, networks tonight about this. We're talking about it now, right? I mean, I heard it uh, this morning on the way in. It was kind of a ridiculous piece, an NPR piece, where they had they went to a CVS and there was the reporter there was talking to a consumer who basically just said, "Yeah, I think it's a good idea." Twice, and that was <laughs> that was supposed to be news and some sort of that's some hard hitting yeah. journalism right there. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I don't know why they needed the person on the street to to add to that because you got to have sound if you're an NPR mm-hmm. reporter. You got to have sound. I don't mean to pick on NPR. That's just the NPR fact is of the great. Matter. You just you don't have to go on location for this one to to <laughs> it was get across the street. <laughs> the um, it is a bit of a, an interesting slippery slope argument that can be made here, though, because uh, there are a lot of things sold in drugstores besides tobacco products that might be detrimental to your health. There's a very large candy aisle at the uh, uh, grocery st- or the uh, Shoppers Drug Mart is the the big national chain where I am in Canada. And I mean, like, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, processed prepared foods and there's all kinds of, you know, you can buy your candy in bulk. And so when does that start to, hey, you know, that can promote obesity. I don't know know where things are in Canada, (laughs) but cigarettes are in a different category in this country than candy. And and maybe they're all mixed together in Canada and people can't really tell the difference. But here- We have our nice sugary cigarettes. You know, cigarettes are the demon product that everybody has to apologize for selling if they sell it at all. And, and, and once you've gotten rid of that, and, well, I'm whereas saying, what, candy is delicious <laughs> and, and good for kids and awesome. Merck's uh, sticking with healthcare. Merck's uh, fourth quarter revenue and profits both came in lower than expected, and yet Bill Barker shares up this morning, hitting a six-year high. What do we think of the big drug maker? Uh, it's a big drug maker. The you know the market is close to all time highs. I know it's down about five percent, but it's it's you know some good fortune's got to land Merck's way every once in a while. It's really not been an outperforming stock, uh, you know, over most time periods, um, five, ten, fifteen years. But uh, you know, it 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 pays enough of a dividend. It's got enough drugs that are not yet uh, going off patent and hitting a you know the patent cliff and the assault from generics. You know, helpfully today, I think it's sort of all good news for the healthcare consumer. That is, Merck's uh, revenues weren't weren't quite what is expected because of the you know things going off patent and, and the generic competition. But uh, there's some news that they're they're throwing some more weight and and um, upping the schedule on one of their cancer drugs. So, you know, it's sort of what what you would want as a consumer is it. The drugs that are out there on the market today uh, are getting cheaper because of competition. The ones that are not on the market and have uh, a, a very addressable market, uh, you know, are, are being pursued uh, with a little bit 
more speed right now by Merck, and so I, I think that's all good. But it's it's not a stock which, as a whole, has been uh, you know having a, having a great time. Not not exciting in any too way. much, but you know it's it's a pretty steady thing. I was going to say Merck strikes me as one, and I don't own shares of it, but it strikes me as being in that category of large companies that aren't necessarily going anywhere almost like an Exxon Mobil or certainly other big drug makers where you just look at your portfolio and say, well, I've got a place for sort of safe and steady dividend payers. Merck seems to check that box. Yes. If yeah. your mother owns stocks and owns them and has owned them for 20 or 30 years and bought them with the help of a broker, she owns Merck, right? I mean, your parents sort of tend to have the Exxons and the, and the Mercs and the things of the world. And, and it's been in people's portfolios for decades. And, and you know, over the long term, it's uh, rewarded them. Before we get to our final story, uh, as I, uh, I think I mentioned, we have a, a two-day member event starting on Thursday with uh, members of Motley Fool One, Million Dollar Portfolio, Supernova, Motley Fool Pro, and uh, one of our members and longtime listener Brian Withers is not only in town for the event, he is in studio joining us now, and he brought tribute in the form of River Horse Beer from Lambertville, New Jersey. Brian, first, uh, thanks for coming, and, and thanks for the beer. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so excited to be here. I never thought I'd get invited to the podcast, but I've been listening to it since uh, the weekend show started. I don't know two, three years ago, and I listen every day on my way home. Fantastic. Tell us about this Lambertville, New Jersey beer, River Horse beer. So so what's interesting about it is it was two finance guys, and uh, they were, I guess, on Wall Street or whatever, and got sick of the rat race. And they, it, on, the, on the pack, it talks about there's no walls in your cube. You can walk out. And so they bought this uh, brewery and uh, never looked back. So you, you can't get it down here. It's only in New Jersey and uh, eastern Pennsylvania. So I, I heard you guys enjoy a craft brew now and again. From time to time. <laughs> now and again. I think that's fair to say, isn't it, Bill? Well, I do. You, you actually do not. I do not, but I appreciate uh, those who do. <laughs> and I appreciate the variety of. of well, I, I, I'll be more happy to than drink just yours. beer was brought. More well, than I was just going to say, there was uh, something oh, for you too. Brian also brought a lovely bottle of Four Roses bourbon for me, so I am. And, and so that's tonight. Uh, there you go. <laughs> you know, depending, uh, depending on how the rest of the day goes, maybe <laughs> even sooner. Uh, this actually, the beer actually ties nicely into our final story. Um, email from Alan Metz in Atlanta, Georgia, who writes, This story is just begging to be covered on Market Foolery. And he included a link to a story, um, and the headline is, The FAA Shuts Down Beer Delivery Drone, and goes on to write about a some ice fishermen who were up on... Uh, a lake in Minnesota and got some beer delivered to them via drone, flying drone. Um, but the FAA um, basically stepped in and said, no, you can't fly a drone for commercial purposes or above 400 feet in the United States. And so for the moment, anyway, this, this beer delivery uh, drone is being shut down. But Bill, I'm going to go to you first because you were talking about the when we were talking about CVS and you talked about the way the world is going and being on the right side of history. Where do you think the FAA is right now when it comes to beer delivery drones? Are they on the right side of history or are they just 
trying to sweep against the tide. I, I think that the, the history is not yet ready for <laughs> for random drones. I think you know the day will come when uh, uh, we get to have those kinds of toys help us out. Um, but I, I think that there probably needs to be a little bit more study of of how to do it without. Uh, uh, beer being dropped on the wrong person, you know, uh, and you know, crashing through the ice and killing dozens of people, you know, which is going to happen sooner or later, obviously. I, Jim would know more about this whole ice fishing thing, you know. <laughs> Speaking of which, oh. uh, can I, uh, you know, couldn't ice fishing be one of the, uh, uh, like, Winter Olympic sports? I mean, they have to be ice or snow related, I, right? I thankfully and there live aren't south enough of, of them, where this place right? is, so. I mean, there's there's curling. And, and that, that, there is so, curling. You know, Sorry. If you watch CNBC, you, you'll be uh, you'll be getting curling any day now uh, after uh, the there, market closes. But there's beer involved with curling, though. Yes, yes, yes. And there's beer involved with ice fishing and many winter sports. From, from what I've seen, there's a lot of beer involved with ice fishing. So if we're going to add ice fishing as a Winter Olympic sport in 2018, and I'm certainly on board <laughs> with that idea, yeah. let, we, have to, we have to kick one out. So what are you going to kick out of the Winter Olympics to make room for the ice fishing? Uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, think about that for a second because, okay. uh, because the, the, I think the problem with the Winter Olympic sports is not that there are too many of them. It's, it's that they're, you know, they suffer in comparison to the Summer Olympics because of this We've got to have ice or snow involved, yeah. you know, and and it leads to things like dis- actual discussion of ice fishing or snowman building or something like that. It's, uh, I, I think there are other winter sports that, that could be part of the Winter Olympics that, that, that you just played indoors. It seems like some of the and maybe I don't know the Grand Council and their their silly rules on the elements uh, not working for me. Brian, is there a particular winter sport you're like in the Olympics where you just say, you know what, I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm fine if we cut that one. Yeah, so I, I think I talked about this one other time a few weeks ago, and the the judging sports where there's not timing involved or competition at the same time against somebody. One of my favorite ones that can't go is the ones where you line up four snowboarders. And then they go down the hill together Ski down cross. this crazy street. Oh, cross. yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and we can't cut the bobsled or anything that no. involves uh, hurtling down a path of ice at a high speed. Absolutely. Jim? Well, I was going to go figure skating, but I'll, uh, since I'll let Brian have that one. Um, this, this might get me barred from returning to Canada. I hate curling. Oh, wow. Wow. I don't see the point of it. It's shuffleboard on ice. <sighs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And yet. With brooms. As, yeah. As, just, as Bill and Ma- beer. As Bill Mann pointed out uh, on the Motley Fool Money radio show recently, the great thing about curling is when it's all over, the winner buys a round of drinks for the loser, and then the loser buys a round buys, of drinks yeah. for the winner. And so that, that is the only redeeming part of the sport. That still has it one up on figure skating in my book. I think we'll end there. Bill Barker, (laughs) Jim Gillies, Brian Withers, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) 